0: Welcome to the Dearly Woven Podcast. I am your host, Casey Dow. This is the podcast where we dive into the stories of shepherds and makers. So if you love all things sheep and wool, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome back to the podcast. I have a packed full episode for you today. My guest is Kim Goodling from Vermont Grandview Farm. And if you couldn't tell by the fun title of this episode, we cover quite a bit. From Kim's journey into raising Gotland sheep, her trips to Gotland, Sweden, how awesome guard llamas are, especially when there is an encounter with a bear. Yes, a bear. And some encouraging advice when things get tough shepherding. Before we get into the episode, I did want to mention that during this interview, I tried a different mic setup and it was not the quality I was hoping for, so I will be going back to my old setup for future interviews, so if I sound a little bit muffled, that's why. But Kim's mic is perfectly clear. You know, you try new things and when they don't work, you go back to what does. Or better yet, maybe don't mess with what's working, right? and as always if you have a quick moment to leave a rating for the podcast I would greatly appreciate it and you can find me at Dearly Woven on Facebook and Instagram. All right now let's get into this week's interview.
1: Hello everyone today I have the pleasure of speaking with Kim Goodling of Vermont Grandview Farm. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today Kim. Oh you're welcome I'm glad to be here. Well, I would love, Kim, if you would get started by introducing yourself and then sharing your story on how you got started farming and getting started with sheep and all that good stuff.
2: Okay. Well, I'm Kim Goodling. I'm shepherd to a flock of Gotland sheep at Vermont Grandview Farm, and our farm is located in central Vermont, and we started as a homestead probably about... Well, (laughs) my husband and I started maybe 30 years ago, building a homestead when we moved to Vermont. And then after we had children, we just continued that. And we grew all of our own food. We had a little bit of extra food that we would pass on to friends or neighbors, but it was really starting this life of being self-sufficient and providing for our own needs and the needs of those right around us. And then we had children and I entered into this 18-year journey of homeschooling them. And as we were homeschooling, our philosophy became one of life is learning. And so everything that we did at our homestead was done with this um kind of philosophy of we don't have to necessarily purchase and and use these canned curriculums in order to learn we can learn by doing you know through the activities that we're doing right here in our own homestead and so from there it kind of grew into this desire for our children to really dive in a little bit deeper into Vermont's agricultural lifestyle and to experience what it was like to help run a family business. And so that is kind of when we uh, sort of made that leap from homestead to official working farm you know, was having this desire to really run this family business, family farm business that our children could be a part of. So mm-hmm. that's kind of where it all started for us. Um, sheep came in sort of as an afterthought. I, I'm not a person who, you know, growing up always thought it would be wonderful to own sheep. Um, one, one day my husband and I were talking and I was sharing with him how, when I got to the end of my life, I didn't want to have regrets. I didn't want to sit there and say, why didn't we ever, or, you know, just feel like I had missed out on things in life that I wanted to live fully and embrace life now. And he looked at me and he said, well, what do you want to do? And just kind of off the top of my head, I said, I want sheep. And he was <laughs> like, oh, okay, let's get sheep. <laughs> so it really wasn't this, you know, premeditated thought. It just is what came out, you know, at the time. So that was the beginning of our lengthy process of researching and learning about sheep
1: and you got started with the Romneys is that right
2: yes we did and as I said I spent probably two years researching sheep and that's just kind of the person I am I'm an information gatherer (laughs) I can relate (laughs) And so we went to every sheep and wool festival available to us. A lot of the local festivals hold classes and workshops for shepherds on how to get started with sheep or how to care for sheep. I went to every one of those. I consulted numerous times with the Vermont. Sheep expert through our extension services. And I'll never forget the day he was standing on our property for the second time. And I was pelting him with questions. And he looked at me and he said, Kim, would you quit asking me questions and just go buy some sheep? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, You can't learn anymore. You have to go get sheep. He said, You will learn on the job. Just get your sheep. <laughs> and so we're like, Oh okay, I guess we're ready, you know. (laughs) Ended up with Romney's because there was a dear friend, an elderly woman who read stories at the public library. And she had heard me talking about wanting to get sheep. And she said, well, if you want really nice sheep, you need to talk to my neighbor. And it just so happened that her neighbor raised Romney sheep. And they did seem like really nice sheep. And so that's how we
1: got into the Romneys. And how long did you have them before you um, switched over to the Gotland breed?
2: I think we had Romneys for about 10 years before we made that transition.
1: And and what made you make that transition and and want to start breeding the Gotlands?
2: yeah. Well, the Gotlands came along at kind of a transition point in my life. As I said, I was a homeschool mom. So I was with my children 24-7 every day of the year. And I loved it. And then all of a sudden, this thing happens where your children grow up. (laughs) (laughs) They, They don't ask you for permission. It just happens, you know. And I'm standing there one day and all of my kids are going off to school, to college, and my youngest was going to leave that next year to college, leaving me as this empty nester, and I was really beginning to feel that, and kind of feel the pain of Mm -hmm. going through that empty nest syndrome, and feeling like I needed something to focus on, because for 18 years, I was used to homeschooling my kids and being a very strong uh, having a very strong presence in their lives and, and them in and mine and all of a sudden it's like my job was about to walk out the door and I was kind of panicking well that same year we had a particularly difficult lambing season very uncharacteristically so And I had a good friend who sent me a book by Sue Blacker called Pure Wool. And Sue Blacker is a shepherd. She also owns a mill in England where they specialize in pure breed wool yarn. And in her book, each chapter talks about a new breed of sheep and then gives a knitting pattern. So I'm sitting there sort of feeling sorry for myself Reading through this book, and I came to the chapter on Gotland sheep. And as I was reading about the Gotland sheep, I remember peering over the edge of the book, looking at my husband, saying, "I want these." (laughs) And I thought, you know, this can be my new focus: is to get a new breed of sheep. It's not that I didn't love my Romney's; I loved them, but I just needed something new in my life at that point. You know,
1: right. Right. And the Gotland, they've been like a breed up program here in the United States, right? Yes, they have. So when you went searching for the Gotland, were they kind of already established here through the breed up program? They were. When we entered into
2: it, well, I purchased some sheep who were like 96%. So they were pretty far along by the time we entered into it. Um, So I felt like we were almost cheating, you know, (laughs) we were were entering into the picture after all of this really hard work had, had already happened. Now, what I've come to realize, the longer I've owned them and the more times I go to Gotland, Sweden myself, is that yes, a bulk of the work was already done before we entered, but there's still a lot of work that yet needs to
1: happen and
2: really, really refining
1: the breed. Right. I would love if you could kind of talk about their history and their characteristics and then talk about your trips to Gotland. I would love to hear about them.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, Gotland sheep are known for their gray curls. Their wool does not have a crimp like other breeds of sheep. It has a curl. And it's a very lustrous fiber and very heavy fiber. In Sweden, they are considered a pelt sheep. They are raised for their pelts. The meat is sold throughout Europe and they are prized for these amazing pelts that they produce. And the artisans in Sweden, will take these pelts some of them are just sold as is and others are turned into clothing coats and vests and hats and mittens um, they use them for upholstery they use them for all kinds of things so that is their main focus in their homeland the breed is a smaller breed my use weigh, i would say between 125 and 150 my rams Typically a Gotland ram is like 165 to 180, but I have a ram out there that I really think is 200 pounds. Here <laughs> <laughs> says he's not, but boy, he, he's a big fella as far as I'm concerned. Um, so they are a smaller breed, which was also appealing to us as we get older. You know, my Romneys, I had some Romney ewes that were 225. They were huge, sheep, So having the smaller size is nice. They're also naturally short-tailed. So that's another very nice feature about them. And they have this amazing personality. If you give them some time um, and show interest in them, they want to converse with you. They want to have a two-way conversation with you. (laughs) And they really like people and they desire attention. I remember when our Romneys used to lamb, it would be like this mad scramble to try and catch one of the lambs to hold. But with the Gotlands, as soon as those lambs are born, they'll walk over to you and just press their body against you. And look way up at you as if to say, you will pick me up, right? <laughs> oh, so so they're, they're very personable, very calm breed, which is really something special about mm-hmm. them. And I think I find the look of the Gotland just to be quite striking. They have a pure black face. They have black legs. They have no wool on the face no wool on the legs so they kind of have this elegant look to them and they're just very striking when we first started taking them to sheep festivals with us i would have people come up to me and say honestly you've got the most beautiful sheep in this whole barn uh-huh. and i think they were saying that too because they're so different you know they they look very different from a lot of other breeds And you combine that with their friendly personality. They're just these amazing creatures.
1: They are absolutely beautiful, yes. Yeah. Now, I would love if you, because you've been to Gotland two times?
2: Yes, we have. First time that we went, it was my husband and I and our daughter. Our daughter was living in Germany at the time, and we had just gotten our first starter flock of Gotland sheep. And when we went to see her, she said, hey mom, is there anywhere else in Europe you want to go? Because it's pretty easy to go just about anywhere once you're here. And I said, can we go to Gotland? And she's like, sure, we can do that. (laughs) So the three of us went there. We didn't do a whole lot of planning though I did contact a few shepherds before we went. And asked if we could come and speak with them. But I had been posting on Instagram our plans to make this trip. And then as we were traveling, I was posting pictures. Here I am in the Frankfurt airport. Here's the security guy trying to take my knitting needles, you know, oh, his whole story of us traveling. And when we arrived in Gotland, we flew over from uh, Stockholm, the airport in Stockholm. And as we landed and were unloading, we're probably the only Americans on this flight, surrounded by all these Swedish people. And all of the people, as they were getting off the plane, they had family and friends there greeting them. And I looked at my husband and said, There's not going to be anyone greeting us. And I no sooner got those words out of my mouth than this woman walked through the front door of that airport with her arms wide open, walked right up to me and said, Cam, it's you. And she gave me this huge hug. And she had been following us on Instagram, following this story. And she was there to greet us and welcome us to Gotland. And it, it just touched my heart so much she had brought us lunch she had a map she had called a good friend of hers who is a shepherd on Gotland and had arranged for us to go meet with them I mean it was just amazing so that was the start to that trip and we only had about four days there and it was just amazing. Every person we met were just like that woman, very giving, very friendly. And all of them left this huge impression with us. I, I just find the shepherds there to be very warm and giving people. And each one of them has something unique about them. And the shepherd that this woman connected us with He's been a shepherd for a long time. He's also an educator. He will teach shepherding classes in the winter months. And we sat with him and his wife for about four hours at this table in front of their little farm store. And he provided us with a snack to eat. And we just swapped farming stories. And we were laughing and sharing stories. And it was as if we were neighbors, you know, that Mm -hmm. there was even though we had all of these differences, because we were from different countries, you never would have known, you know, and as we were leaving, he said to us, he said, you know, people may be different colors, they may speak different languages, they may come from different cultures and different religions but underneath all people are the same. And he said, you just have to find that connection. And he said, the connection is what brings people together. And he said, sheep bring
1: us together.
2: And that's a real good thing.
1: <laughs> that That is awesome. And yes, that's so special. You know, you have shepherding and sheep as a connection. So even though you are from two separate places that you can just like you said, just pick up and, and it's like, you guys have been neighbors and just have those conversations. Right. That's so cool.
2: Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we spoke this common language, you know, and, and that common language was shepherding. So it was, it was really neat. So that was our first trip. Then as we were leaving that first time, I knew that I wanted to come back and I knew I wanted to bring people with me because I wanted other people to experience this so in 2019 we took a group there were 12 of us that went over and we arranged this tour we stayed on a sheep farm in this big farmhouse together and that time it was more planned we had scheduled ahead of time to meet with and spend a lot of time at different farms so that people could see some of these Different shepherds and experience their different ways of farming, and then we spent time in the walled city of Visby and just toward the island from one end to the other. And we were there for a full week, so that that was a really special time. It was interesting. I arranged that tour with Gotland sheep breeders in mind. I mean, if you raised Gotland sheep. It was the tour of a lifetime, but interestingly, so only one other couple signed up who actually owned Gotland Sheep. The rest of the people were women who either enjoyed traveling or they enjoyed knitting or they just liked sheep you know? Mm-hmm. And so it was really interesting. And and I was a little concerned that they might get bored visiting all these farms, but they absolutely loved it and found it so fascinating. And I have a lot of requests to do another tour. So I'm hoping that we will get through COVID
1: so that I can really start focusing on putting together another tour. Right. Yeah. That's That sounds like it would be such a neat time. And did each shepherd have different farming practices or were they kind of similar over there? Well, each one of them would kind of have their own focus. Mm
2: -hmm. For instance, the farm that I just told you about that we had spent a lot of time with on that first trip, he focused quite a bit on um, land stewardship, and he also grows an ancient variety of wheat. So he's very much focusing on the connection between soil and the plants you grow and the quality of the sheep, you know, where some of the other farms just had slightly different focuses, you know, just like as you meet farmers in the United States, each farm is going to have their own little different philosophy or
1: farm practices, you know. Right. I would love if you would kind of want to talk about your farming practices and obviously the Gotlands are a big focus of yours and just kind of maybe how your farm is set up and how you kind of run things.
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, our main focus is sheep We also raise pigs in the summer and when our children were at home, we also had chickens for meat and chickens for eggs and we've had our time with angora goats and our time with angora rabbits. (laughs) So we kind of have visited a lot of different things through the years, but currently as far as livestock, we have the sheep year round and the pigs in the summer. And I would say the main focus on our farm is regenerative farming. Our emphasis is really on being good stewards of the land that we're blessed to own. And we use our animals to help us reclaim old pastures and clear land. We use them to help rebuild the soil and kind of rejuvenate the organic matter in the soil and bring back a diversity of ecosystems to the farm. And this property that we're currently living on has its roots way back into the late 1700s and it was established as a farm in the early 1800s. And when our family came to the property, it had not been used as a farm, for probably 50 or 75 years. Oh, wow. There were no animals here. And it was mainly used for summer homes or the couple that we purchased the property from, they were older and their kids were long gone, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we were the first family in a long time to come and one, bring young children, but also coming to reclaim the farm. And so we've spent a lot of time doing that. And the Gotland sheep are great for that. Gotland sheep are wonderful at browsing. They would almost rather be browsing through the woods than they would uh, have their face down eating the grass in the pasture. They absolutely love the browsing. They're very good at helping to control invasive weeds and brambles and kind of the understory of a forest. So we use them in that way quite a bit. We also use our pigs. If there's an area of pasture that has overgrown and we want to reclaim it, we will put our pigs on there first and they will, turn that soil over, dig up rocks. They will uproot small saplings and that kind of thing. And we'll have pigs on them the first year. And then we can smooth it off. Sometimes we have to go in and and remove some larger stumps that they didn't completely dig up. And we'll pick the rocks up and then we seed it. And then the third year, the sheep are there grazing. So we really use our animals in that way to help reclaim and really establish some of these pastures that were lost throughout the years. Um, We also use intensive rotational grazing as a way to restore the nutrients into the soil as well as for parasite control. But that's also another technique that we're using in our regenerative farming. And I think another emphasis for us, which has always been there, is a desire to be self-sustaining and self-sufficient. And we want to leave as small a footprint behind as possible while at the same time, providing food for our family and a few friends and just um, being good stewards and fully utilizing what we have here on our property.
1: Yes, I I love that. And I feel the same way for our family. That's kind of the direction we want to keep moving towards. Um, When you're talking about like the intensive rotational grazing and um, parasite control, I know too that you've uh, just this past year, like back in 2020, you started using BioWorma. are you still using that? And what has your experience been like using it?
2: Yeah, I, I did use BioWerma. You only use it during your grazing season. So for us in Vermont, my sheep were no longer grazing by about, I would say the third week of September. They were eating hay at that point. So it's not something that you need to feed year-round unless your animals have their nose to the ground year-round. And bioworma is a fungus which you feed to the sheep on a daily basis. And that is passed through their system into their manure. And the fungus, when it lands on the field in the manure, it consumes the parasite larva that is in the manure. So it's a wonderful way of naturally kind of curbing your parasite load and really cutting it back. Now, the animals, it's not like they were 100% free of parasites, but I can say I probably only had one maybe two that needed treating during the course of the summer. And those were, I think one was a small lamb who had been bottle fed. And to me that made sense because of being bottle fed, I feel like her immune system was slightly compromised to start with. So it kind of made sense that she was one that needed a little support through the grazing season. I I absolutely loved using eye For one, it reduced my stress load tremendously. <laughs> I mean, I still had to be on top of things. I was still monitoring their body condition as well as their mucous membranes, making sure they were still nice and pink. And I did send fecal samples from all of the sheep once a month, just so that I could kind of establish a baseline of where they were and then monitor them through the grazing months. But it definitely made a huge difference. The drawback is it's quite expensive. I kind of lost track actually of how much money I spent, but I would say it probably cost me around $2,000 by the time it was all said and done, you know, from day one until... The last container of it that I purchased in the late summer, so it is costly to use, and I'm just hoping that somehow they will lower the price. (laughs) You know, I think it's a fairly new product, so I'm hoping that over time that price might come down.
1: Right, and but I think too, like it's a it's a good alternative to the conventional warmers, and it might you know help with you know parasite resistance and all of that. So hopefully, you know, with that coming onto the market, like you said, the, the more publicity it gets, maybe it'll drop down in price and maybe other, there'll be other more natural sources that come out as well. Right.
2: And the other thing that I discussed with my vet, I wanted her to be aware of what I was doing. And her recommendation is that I try and use BioWorma two years in a row. She feels like if I use it for two grazing seasons, back to back, that will really help cut back on the parasite load in my fields. And she said, then maybe you can take one or two years off and see how they do. And then, you know, so that you're not every single year having to feed BioWorma, but you figure out a cycle where you can feed it for a couple years and then take
1: a couple years off. Right, yeah, that's really good. Yeah. So I'm kind of curious because I know you have guard llamas and I want to know how you came to decide to use them versus livestock guardian dogs or donkeys and just what made you want to choose them over the others? Right.
2: We do have a guard llama and we've always had a llama from the very beginning when we first got sheep. And I think when you are deciding what kind of livestock guardian you need, there are a lot of factors you need to consider. I felt like based on where we live, a llama and, and what we do on our farm, the llama was the best choice for a couple reasons. I know that livestock guardian dogs will work by roaming the perimeter of the property. And if they sense there's danger, they will bark. And because of where we are, though, people look at us and say, wow, you're in the middle of nowhere. We are, but yet we aren't. You know, we have some neighbors that are close enough that if we had a dog that barked through the night, I know they would hear it. Mm -hmm. Um, the other concern for me was we do a lot of agritourism we have people coming onto our property on a regular basis and I didn't want to be concerned about how this dog is going to interact with strange people that are constantly coming to the property and so I just felt that the dog wasn't a good choice for our situation. And so then we came down to llama or donkey and I chose a llama because I knew that we were fiber focused and the llama would provide yet another source of fiber and also be a way for that llama to pay her own way, you know, to be self-sustaining.
1: Can you kind of talk about how they do guard and do will they actually kick and everything if a predator comes or is it more like an alarm sound? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Mamas are quite fascinating, I
2: think. They are naturally curious and their curiosity and their attentiveness to their environment, that's part of what makes them be such a good guard. So for instance, when I move my sheep into a new field, the llama will parole the fence line. She's very attentive. She wants to know where she is and what's out there. Anytime she is lying down in the field, she positions herself so that she can survey the entire field. She would never lie with her back to the field. She wants and needs very much to see everything that's happening. It's really interesting, one time my husband was so proud he built a small llama shelter that we could pull through the fields and it would be a way to provide some shade for her and he was just so proud of this. And after we put it in the field, he's like, why won't she go in there? And I said, because she can't see. (laughs) (laughs) She's not going to go in if she can't see. There are no windows. She can't see anything. And so she would lay next to it. We're like, (laughs) okay. Um, As far as what happens when they do sense danger, if something approaches the fence line that she hasn't seen before she will run over to the fence line to check it out and she has two different calls she has one call that says wow that's a strange looking thing i wonder what that is and then she has another call that's i say it's her 911 call and it's when she says oh my word we're all about to die you know <laughs> and the two calls are very different If it's the curious, wow, what are you call? The sheep don't even look up. They continue grazing, they stay where they are. If it's this 911 call, the sheep are at her feet immediately. They know the difference. And there was a couple years ago in the morning, I heard her making this alarm call and I'm like, what the heck, you know, what is going on? And there was a small strip of woods between our house and the pasture where the sheep were grazing. So I thought, I'm just gonna walk through that strip of woods. It's the fastest way for me to get to the field. There's probably just a fox in the field. So I start off walking down this little path through the woods and all of a sudden 10 feet in front of me steps this huge bear oh my like God. I have never been on the same side of the fence with a bear before <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I decided I never want to be on the same side of the fence with a bear again <laughs> and he was on all fours and his head was level with my head on all fours this guy was huge And there was, we were both stunned. If I had had a camera, oh my goodness, the look on his face was one of absolute shock. Like, what (laughs) are you and why are you here? And I'm sure I had the same look. And so I, I kind of go back to the house and I watched the llama. The field that she was in had a steel gate that separated it from the field adjoining. And she had pushed the sheep against that steel gate and was pacing back and forth to hold them against the gate while she made this alarm call. So in her mind, that was a place of safety. She put them in a place that was safe and then held them there. And she continued to call until that bear left. And the bear, it was in the early spring. And I, he just seemed a little disoriented to me. Like he had come out of the woods and had woken up. And he's like, where am I? And he really didn't seem interested in anything here. He wasn't interested in the sheep or the garden or anything. He just sort of was pacing the fence line. And finally, he just walked right up the middle of the road. Well, that llama kept those sheep and it probably went on for about an hour and she just held them there. Um, So that's one thing that they do. Another thing that a llama will do is they will actually chase out anything that enters into the field. So if a stray dog jumps our fence and gets in with the sheep, she will chase them out. I've been told that llamas will stomp and kill if they need to I've never seen that because I think she's never needed to do that you know just her chasing the dog out was enough to get them to leave
1: right and when you go to purchase a guard llama is is there certain things you need to look for you know to make sure that they're going to guard sheep or do most of them just naturally do it
2: Well, first of all, I think the number one thing, which we did not do with our first llama and it did not end well, you need a llama that you can handle. Llamas have this motto of look, but don't touch. And that's fine. I can respect their personal space, but there are times when you have to halter them. You know, they are very susceptible to meningeal worm. And during grazing season, we give our llama a shot once a month. Our first llama did not let us get near her. We couldn't touch her. We couldn't catch her. And she got meningeal worm twice. The first time we got her through it and she survived the second time it killed her. So I know it's here. I know it's a risk. And the next time we went shopping for a llama, I said that llama will be halter trained. So our llama is amazing. You can walk up to her in the field and put a halter on her quite easily. When it's time to give her a shot, my husband doesn't even have to halter her. He can walk right up to her, put his arm around her and give her a shot. So she's very good in that way. And I think if you're going to be using a llama in this way, you know, so that they are grazing, you've got to be aware of mm-hmm. meningeal worm and you've got to be able to give them preventative treatment or you have to be able to treat them should they get it. So for me, that was a number one priority. The second priority was that the llama had already been exposed to sheep before. And the farm that we purchased ours from, she had been in with a small flock of sheep. She wasn't considered the main guard in that flock, but she was there with another working llama. So I have heard of situations where people have gotten llamas that were not in with sheep prior, and it did turn out okay. But I think the ideal, if you're looking for the ideal is one who already knows sheep language, you know, and they've already been exposed to them. So those would be the two main things that I would look for in terms of whether or not they have this guarding instinct. For me, it's finding a llama that exhibits a lot of attentiveness and they're very inquisitive. Those are the characteristics that are going to make them a good guard. And when we bring a new llama home, we put her in fairly close quarters with the sheep until I feel like they've bonded. So I don't tend to turn a new llama out into this huge field with the sheep. I put them in a paddock where they're forced to eat together and lie down together because that's where the bonding is going to happen.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. I think, um, you know, we've been kind of back and forth between what kind of livestock guardian we want to get, and I think we've kind of decided on a llama.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I'm glad to hear all your suggestions and your experience with them, because you know I I didn't know too much about livestock llamas or guardian llamas. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I will definitely take all of those into consideration <laughs> when we're looking for. One, um, yes. I would love if you could share about your Vermont Farm School and your shepherding mentoring program and how those came to be and kind of what all it includes.
2: Okay, the mentoring came about again in kind of one of those moments after all my children had left home where I was really missing teaching because I majored in education in college. I was a public school teacher for a short period of time, though, I was never in public school settings where it was a good match for me, but then I homeschooled my children for 18 years and most people, most friends of mine or family, if you said to them, what is Kim, you know, what does she do? Most of them would say, oh, she's a teacher. You know, I just kind of have that at heart and our farm has always kind of been this center of education. Early on, we taught fiber art classes. We had a lot of farm tours. You know, through the years, we did retreats here on the farm. So it's always been a part of what we've done here. And once the children left home, and I was no longer homeschooling, I was really missing that piece. So I started on this journey of entering into the world of online teaching which has been quite interesting to go through but what i now offer is a shepherd mentoring program for shepherds regardless of where they are in their shepherding journey a lot of the people that come to me are new to sheep they either just got a flock or they're thinking about getting sheep and they want to learn as much as they can they're kind of in that information gathering stage that i went through And then some of them have owned sheep for a long time, and they really want to get serious and take it from being a hobby farm to more of a small farm business. And I also have a course in promoting and marketing your farm that I offer as well. So those are kind of the things that I offer. People in the mentoring program have access to kind of a resource library of all the different kinds of resources on all the different topics of raising sheep from processing wool to lambing to parasite control, you know, just about everything. I have various mini tutorials or small courses that they can take online. And then a huge piece of it is a discussion forum, which is done through a Facebook group so that people can come in and ask questions anytime. And it's just a good place for me to disseminate information and to hold what I call office hours where people can come in and ask me questions. So that's what what I'm offering and hope that I can continue to do that for a while.
1: Yeah. And I think it's so wonderful too, um, because especially when COVID hit and everything, all these gatherings where, you know, shepherds can connect and learn from each other were canceled. And so being that this is all online, you can still get so much great information and still connect with other people who are doing sheep farming as well. So I I think it's just so wonderful.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. You know, and there are a few people in that mentoring program. I think they're going on their third year now of being with me And I think they stay just for what you said. It's the network. It's, you know, being around other shepherds and just being encouraged and inspired by what other people are doing.
1: Yes, I I love that. And do you have any um, encouraging advice for shepherds for when things may not be going right or, you know, they're just having a tough time? Do you have any encouraging advice of kind of how to just get them through it? Yeah, you
2: know, shepherding is one of those things where you are going to experience the full range, you will have good days, and you will have bad days. And I think as keepers of living beings, which is what a shepherd is, you are going to experience the height of ecstasy and the depths of unbearable grief. If, if you are raising livestock, it cannot be avoided. And anyone who is there to help bring life into this world and there to help usher it out is going to eventually find themselves on their knees and find themselves in situations where things are not going the way that you hoped. And it's, for me, it's Part of the beauty and the honor of what we do as shepherds and one time i had a friend who had owned sheep for a long time i called her on my cell phone i knew i had a ewe that was having trouble with lambing i knew i needed to go in and see what was going on and i called this friend because i had never done this before And I'm standing in the barn, I've got my glove on and I'm talking to her. And she kept saying to me, Kim, you just have to do this. And I said, I don't want to do it. (laughs) And she said, then you have no business owning sheep." And that really stunned me. You know, it, Mm -hmm. it shook me up. And she said, Kim, this is part of shepherding. It's not always the good stuff sometimes you have to do hard things. It's about getting through the hard things and helping your sheep through those difficult times. And that really stayed with me for a long time. So my advice is that you just have to embrace the moment for what it is, whether it's the height of ecstasy or the depths of unbearable, heart-wrenching situations, you need to embrace that moment and grow from it and learn from it and know that you are a shepherd of life, not just a shepherd of sheep. And you know, you're know you going to have difficult times, but you get through those difficult times and that's what's so rewarding about it.
1: That's so good. And I think that is something special that, especially when you're lambing, you're there the moment they're born, but you might be there the moment, you know, they're not here anymore. And that's a special thing that you're there for them.
2: Right. I I think so. I mean, I think our society in general likes to kind of tuck away the beginning of life and the end of life, and I think there's a lot of power in each of those, and we can gain a lot of strength through both ends of life. And I just think it's just a real blessing for me to be a part of that and to see that unfold in my flock.
1: Yes, I just love learning from you. You're such, yes. You have so much information, and I've had such a blast talking to you. Before we go. I would love if you would share your social media and your website and also share if you have any new or exciting plans for 2021.
2: Okay. As far as new and exciting plans for 2021, as I said before, I'm just hoping that COVID will kind of take a back seat so that we can get on and plan another trip to Gotland I'm not sure if I can pull it off for 2021 because there's so much planning that needs to happen ahead of time. And I don't know that the world is out of place yet where I can start that, but I hope so. And then as far as plans, you know, I am actually wanting to focus on the shepherd in 2021, which may sound a little odd, but I'd really like to bring more balance back into my life. And to allow myself more time in my studio for creating, as well as more time with my flock. And I think it's so easy for shepherds to just completely give themselves over to their farm that they forget about tending to the shepherd. So that's what I need to do for 2021 is I need to tend to the shepherd a little bit. And then in terms of where you can find us, we have a farm website at GrandviewFarmVT.com. I have an Instagram account that is at VT Grandview Farm, and you'll also find us on
1: Facebook as Vermont Grandview Farm as well. Yes, you definitely need to take that time for yourself because (laughs) I feel like it's the same thing with being a mom of little ones. You have to fill yourself up in order to give to others. So that's probably the same way as it is with sheep. In order to give all that loving and care to your sheep, you got to fill yourself up first.
2: (laughs) Yes. Yep. I think you're exactly right.
1: (laughs) Well, again, I had such a great time talking with you today, Kim. And Thank you so much for being an amazing mentor to me and so many others in the shepherding community.
0: Oh, well, thank you. It was great to chat with you today. I could just talk to Kim for hours on end. She truly has a heart for teaching, and I am so grateful that she was willing to come on the podcast to share her knowledge. Be sure to check out Kim's website and social media, along with her shepherding mentoring program and the other wonderful courses she has to offer. And all of it will be linked in the show notes below. Alright, that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. And until next time, take care and keep creating with fiber.